Gitten Perik Hey Mishnah Vav five six. The primary topic of this Mishnah is the halachas as they deal with these people and this phenomenon called Sikrikon, which are kind of like these non-Jewish mafioso extortionists. Um, and it has a side point as well. Uh, that's a different topic. Now it's been put here presumably because of a takana that the rabbis made regarding the Sikrikon. Um, and while that takana is not a takana for the sake of tikkun olam, um, it is a takana that has to do with um, stolen land. And since the previous mission had talked about a takana that had to do with stolen property, so presumably that got um, placed here as well. So now this Mishnah is a little bit um, tricky to follow. So let me try to explain the structure of the Mishnah first, and then we'll go back and we'll um, we'll see it inside. So the structure of the Mishnah is as follows. The primary topic, like I said, is this Sikrikon. The word sikrikon, what it actually means literally, its etymology is sort of um, not perfectly clear at all. Um, Chazal do bring in no trikon, as they do for essentially all imported um, or barred words from foreign languages. Essentially, um, the bartender brings it in Bikurim, that sikrikon is a, a portmanteau, a no trikon, for the words sa karkai vahanicheni, which means take my property and leave me alone, um, literally. And the idea is that the Sikrikon with these kind of, you know, mafia Gentile extortionists who essentially put a gun to the owner of some land's head and said, give me your land or else I've got an offer you can't refuse. Um, and so then the Jew essentially hands over their property. So the basic principle of Sikrikon is that it doesn't count as a sale. And if somebody, we'll call him Shimon, buys this property from the Sikrikon, um, but the Sikrikon had essentially extorted it, they'd essentially stolen it, for lack of a better term, from Reuven. So then, even though Shimon bought the field, it still belongs to Reuven, and Reuven and Shimon need to work it out. Okay? So now, the details of how that's quote-unquote worked out um, is the topic of our Mishnah. And the Mishnah actually has four distinct historical periods, and the halachas that apply to the Sikrikon um, are changing over time. I know there's rabbinic enactments to how to deal with this phenomenon, um, changes based on the facts on the ground and based on the rabbi's um, interest in establishing a, um, in encouraging lands and back up in, in Jewish control. So, stage one of this, um, of, the, of the four historical stages in the Mishnah, is during the first great war of the Jews against the Romans, around the time of Chorban Baishani, excuse me, so around the cult years, you know, 68 to 73, something like that, of the common era. And that's stage one. And at that time, uh, there was a sort of a mitzvah by the Gentiles enforced by the Romans to kill the Jews, and therefore the Jews essentially had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And therefore that's, that's the, <clears throat> the assumption is that if, they, if a Jew gives over his property to a, to a Gentile, essentially to save his life, he doesn't think he's going to be able to take him to court later on and get his land back. He doesn't think that. He just says, you know, think it was like, you know, 1939 Poland. Just, if you let me live, I'll give you whatever you want, and that's it. I'll be happy to live, and that's all I'm going to ask for. Um, then you have stage two is after that, after the Great War, the first Great War of the Jews, in uh, which, which um, like, the mitzvah to kill Jews had, you know, gone off the books and subsided, and therefore... If these mafiosos come and put a gun to a Jew's head and he agrees to give his property away, so what he's thinking is, I'm going to save my skin now and I'll deal with this later on through the legal system to get my land back. Okay, so that is your classic Sikrikon case. And the basic point of our Mishnah, I'm keeping this very simple for a moment, we'll see details shortly, is 
Although Reuven gave his field to the Sakrikon, he intends to get it back and work it out, and he doesn't really intend to you know, waive any rights and claim on his land. Then there's the Mishnah then, after giving the halachas that second time period, uh, basically sees a, a structural parallel to how things might work if a third party is buying land from a husband with regards to his wife's claims, her encumbrances on his property because of her ksuba. So you have like a side point. I'm not discussing that now. We'll go back to that at the end of the Mishnah, so I'll skip those words. Then um, <clears throat> you have this third historical period where people, the rabbis observed, that because of this law of Sakrikon and... Um, the basic din that if Shimon buys the land from the Sakrikon, he'll have to still deal with the original owner, Reuven. So there were just no Shimons around. No, nobody was prepared to buy land if they're going to have to basically, you know, give it back to the original owner. And that being the case, the rabbi said, listen, we need, we want Jews to step up to the plate and buy the land back because we want the land and back up in Jewish hands. We want Yishevarit to stroll. We don't want the, the Gentiles essentially to sell to the Gentiles and, and lose political control in Israel. And therefore, you know, sort of, I'll call it, you know, you know, de facto control over what's what's going on on the ground over Israel. So therefore, they made a takana. They said, "Listen, here's a way we can work it out that Shimon will be can keep the land that he buys from Sukkot. He just has to give a piece of it to Reuven, keeping it simple." Um, but even at that third stage, we kind of gave Reuven this right of first refusal if he could afford to buy the land back. So then he could say to Shimon, listen, Shimon, that's my land, and I, I, want, it, I want it back. Um, and the reason I didn't step up and buy myself is I was just afraid to get involved in the first place and have this, you know, the buy back and then have it stolen another time from me, whatever it is. And because that right of first refusal still exists and the possibility of Reuven still going to Shimon and getting back his land under certain circumstances, so therefore Shimon still wouldn't, didn't want to buy, there were no Shimons to buy the land, and therefore in the fourth and final historical phase, which is type of time of Rebuta Nasi, called the year 200 of the Common Era, Roughly, um, they enacted that that right of first refusal only exists for twelve months, and after that, Shimon can buy the land and, and keep it as long as he gives a piece back to Reuven. That's the gist of the mission, okay, and the structure of it. So let me go through those now in detail, and then we'll go back and deal with the skipped part altogether about people buying property and negotiating with a wife to waive her rights for her ksuba. Okay, that's a separate point. So here, the mission starts out and says as follows: in Judea, during the time of the Great War, this is Titus's war, you know, the year called the year 68, to, for the next several years, there was no such rule on the rule books called Sikrikon, meaning the, the rule that if Reuven hands over his property to Sikrikon and then Shimon buys the land from the Sikrikon, Shimon still has to give it back to Reuven. That's the basic rule of Sikrikon that didn't apply in the historical period of the Great War. And the reason is because if Reuven hands over his land to Sikrikon during that time. It was just because he was trying to save his skin and he had no thought he would ever get it back again. So he really gave it and he said, just let, keep the land and let me, you know, get away and that's good enough for me. But, says the Mishnah in stage two of the historical process, Meheruge Melchama Ve'elech, after the war was over and this rule on the rule books and the Gemara speaks out, there were certain phases where there was essentially a, you had a requirement to kill Jews under penalty if you didn't. And later on, essentially, there was a reward if you did. Whatever the point is, that all fell away, and there was no more inducement of the general populace to kill every Jew. So now, in stage two, if Reuven hands over his property to the mafioso Sakrikon guy, so he intends to later on deal with it in the courts and try to get it back. And that being the case, 
Yeshba Sekrikon. There is such a rule on the books called Sekrikon, which means that Reuven still isn't really giving it away, even though he gave it to, to the Sekrikon, and he can get it back again. Ketzad. So how does that work? So we're going to have two possibilities here. The Mishnah um, hasn't spoke, won't speak it out at first, but it will actually ultimately be. It, de- it depends um, on... Uh, okay, so let's see inside. So, like this. Lakach Masakrikon. If Shimon strikes a deal with a Sakrikon, and then Vachazar Vilakach Mabal Habayas, and then he says, listen, I'm not going to formally hand over the money to Sakrikon and buy this land unless I get a waiver from Reuven that he's not going to steal it, to, you know, make me give it back to him, as the rules of Sakrikon applies. So, if that's what happens, Reuven first goes Sakrikon, strikes a deal, and then he gets a waiver from, excuse me, Shimon strikes the deal with the Sakrikon, and then gets a waiver from Reuven. Mikho Batel, that waiver doesn't count for anything. It's annulled in the courts, meaning that even if Reuven gave over such a waiver to Shimon, once Shimon gets his hands on the property, Reuven can go to Shimon and say, listen, that's my property, and I want it back. Um, Reuven will have to give him the money that he laid out, so he'll be, you know, not be out of pocket, but he'll spend a lot of time and effort for nothing. Okay? Now, the Gemara speaks out, well, maybe Reuven really meant to, in truth, cut a deal with with uh, Shimon and, and and give a waiver in exchange for something. You know, he got paid some money or something. So um, the Gemara says, listen, if Reuven went so far as to essentially indemnify Shimon and say, listen, Shimon, if once you have my field in your hands and I'm giving you, I'm waiving subsequent rights to take it back from you, and if some other creditor comes and says they have a Sheba, they have an encumbrance on this land, and therefore they want you know to collect from the land you're buying, I'm indemnifying you. I'll make you whole. I'll take care of you elsewhere so you're protected. So that already would indicate that Reuven is motivated for his own economic interest and not just to not fight with the Sakrikon. And that being the case, the the deal would actually be binding and the wave would be binding. But otherwise, we're going to say, listen, the only reason that Reuven agreed to give a waiver to Shimon, even if he was offered money, whatever it is, is because he was afraid that if Reuven wouldn't give a waiver. Shimon would go back to Sakrikon and say, "Listen, I would buy your field. It's just that, you know, the previous owner Reuven won't give me a won't give me a waiver, and under Jewish law, he can come take it from me. So I'm walking away from the deal. If that would happen, then of course, Mr. Sakrikon, who's obviously not a he's already unfriendly, dangerous character, would then go back to Reuven and punish him for undermining his sale. So therefore, we would say the only reason Reuven agreed to waive his rights that are afforded to him under this rule called Sarkrikon rights, I'll call them, is just to, to protect himself, and therefore he didn't really mean it. Okay, fine. Um, on the other hand, Mibal habayis v'chazer v'lakach masakrikon, if first Shimon approaches Reuven and says, Reuven, I know you used to have a field, and I know now the Sarkrikon got it from you, but listen, I'm prepared to go negotiate with the Sarkrikon. Just first you know, I'll give you a hundred bucks and you waive your rights to take it from me under the rules of Sakrikon. And then, and Reuven says, okay, I'll accept that. A hundred bucks is better than a poke in the eye. It's better than nothing. I'll take that. So now, if Shimon then goes to the Sakrikon and negotiates a purchase, that purchase is binding. The reason why is because when Reuven agreed to that waiver for the hundred bucks, so the Sakrikon didn't know about this yet. So it's not that Reuven was motivated because he was afraid of Sakrikon. He didn't want to like, you know, get in the way of his sale because he was the, he was first. Um, and therefore, we say that Reuven was striking some deal to his economic benefit. He meant to waive his rights, and therefore it's binding, and therefore the sale is binding, and Reuven can't go back to Shimon afterwards and get the property. So therefore, Mikacho Kayam, the sale 
from the Sekrukon to uh, Shimon, as well as the waiver from Reuven to Shimon, both stand and, you know, can't be contested in the courts. Now, the next lines of the Mishnah is uh, uh, the, the different topic about the husband and wife. So skip that next sentence to the words, Zu Mishnah Rishona. So Zu Mishnah Rishona means this was how the Mishnah was taught originally. This was the original way the halacha applied under Sikrikon. But then, um, based in Shalacherim Amru, a subsequent court, like call it, I don't know, the year 100 or something like that, of the common era, that kind of whatever it is, roughly speaking, they said, Amru, they said, if Shimon buys Sakrikon property, they've been confiscated from, extorted, stolen from Reuven. So then Shimon can keep it. It's just that Shimon has to give a quarter of the land or the dollar equivalent, the economic equivalent, um, to Reuven. And that was kind of like a compromise because the idea is they were observing that no one was coming to buy the land from the Sikrikonim because they they realized that the, the would-be Shimon's said, why should I go buy this land? I'll need to have Reuven take it back from me. So therefore, no one was buying the land, and therefore the Sikrikon would have only a non-Jew to sell his land to, and therefore the land would sort of pass into non-Jewish control, and that the rabbis didn't like. And therefore they said, listen, any Shimon, wants, Shimon who wants to buy the land, he can buy the land, and they should give a piece back to, to the original Reuven, original owner, and therefore um, Reuven gets something, and the land goes back to Jewish control. Now this number, Revia, quarter of the of the land, or the value, um, was they arrived at that number because they sort of, they, uh, based on, I guess, their observations, estimated that the Sikrikonim were selling the land at, like, basically, you know, this a discounted price, because they got the land for free. They just want to sell it and turn it and make a profit. And therefore, they were happy to take below market value. So the thought was that essentially whatever below market value benefit this revia that the Shimon was getting, he would basically give that back to Reuven. Therefore, Shimon ends up getting sort of a, speak, a fair price. He, he gets, he paid three-quarter of the price, gets three-quarter of the land. And uh, Shimon did. And there, and Reuven gets his, you know, gets something, the quarterback. Now, Amasai says the Mishnah, in this third historical period, when we said that the Shimon can keep what he buys, and we're putting the Sikrikon rules aside, that's only That's only when the original owner, Reuven, doesn't have the financial wherewithal to buy it himself. But if, at the time of the sale to Shimon, Reuven did have, you know, the money to buy the, you know, the sale price, um, just perhaps, you know, Reuven just was, you know, was not, either he had a right of first refusal, and we're saying he could buy it, but he just, he wasn't offered that. Or even if he was offered it, Reuven might say, listen, I've already been through the, down this road. The last time I owned this property, the Sikrikon guy stole it from me, so why should I let him steal it from me again? And so he didn't buy it now. So then, um, Reuven, even if he didn't buy it then and there instead of Shimon, he can go to Shimon afterwards and say, Shimon, that's my land. You you laid out, you know, you paid a thousand bucks for it. Here's a thousand bucks. Give me my land back. Um, and that right would persist sort of in perpetuity. Even five years later, Reuven could say, listen, I was afraid to get involved when Mr. Sikrikon was around, but now I want my land back. Here's your thousand bucks you laid out. Um, says the Mishnah, if Reuven had the wherewithal to purchase that land, he just didn't. Then Reuven has this right of first refusal. He can buy it before anyone else. And even if someone else, like Shimon does, go buy it from the Sikrikon, Reuven can get it back from even, even years later. Now, 
That's the third historical stage. Now, now what happens is in the fourth historical phase, uh, the rabbis observe that since this right of first refusal thing is lingering, Shimon still is afraid to buy all the Shimons of the world are afraid to buy the land from Sikron, Sikro, the Sikrikon because, you know, years later after they've, you know, been investing in this land, the original owner can come back and get it back for themselves, claim, you know, that they had the money all along. And therefore, um, in this fourth stage, they wanted to limit their right of first refusal. So Rebbe Hoshev Bezdin, Rebbe Hudnasi, established his own Bezdin in his time, and they said, listen, Nimnu, they like took a vote, and they decided as follows. If the stolen lands had been in the hands of the Sakrikon for 12 months, so then whoever buys the land from the Sakrikon, he can keep it. Meaning, the right of first refusal that we had given previously to the original, you know, original owner Reuven, and plus the rights for him to re-buy it back for that purchase price later on, if he had the money all along, um, we're saying no, that's limited to 12 months. If after 12 months Reuven hasn't come and got his feel back from Sakrikon, then we're saying, listen, he waived his right of first refusal, he's waived his rights to ever get it back, and therefore any Shimon can come and, and buy it, and that way we're going to encourage the Shimons of the, the Jewish Shimons of the world to come and buy this land to get it back into Jewish control. Aval, says the Mishnah, however, Nosen Labalim Revia, Shimon, when he buys this land after 12 months, begin the control of the of the uh, Sakrikon, even though there's no right of, of Reuben to get it back from Shimon, Shimon has to give him a quarter of the land or the economic equivalent in cash, because again, the thought is he's anyways getting a bargain price, and that's to somehow give some kind of justice or compensation um, or, you know, reparation to, to Reuben who's, who's lost his land. That's the basic. That's the, the, the that's the Mishnah as it flows through for Hilchos Sikrikon. Okay. Um, now, the part I skipped. Back after the second historical phase, we said we said that if the if Shimon first negotiates with Sikrikon and then with the original owner Reuven, we think Reuven just agreed because he was afraid of the consequence of not agreeing. He didn't want to have a fight with the Sikrikon. Whereas if Shimon first struck a deal with Reuven and then went to the current controlling person, the Sikrikon, that would be binding because of the time that Reuven agreed to waive his rights in exchange for, you know, some money or something. So then he wasn't afraid of the Sikrikon because he was the Sikrikon wasn't yet, you know, going to lose a deal. And therefore, it, he meant it and it's binding. So our mission says something similar occurs um, with respect to land that's owned by a husband, which is serving as collateral for his wife's ksuba. So the gist of our Mishnah and the part that I skipped is as follows. The gist is that if Reuven has a wife and Reuven has a property and Shimon wants to buy Reuven's property, but he's afraid, listen, he says, listen, Reuven hasn't got much other property or no other property and he has a wife and, you know, one day Reuven's going to die and then his wife's going to come and in the time of the Mishnah, the only place that Aksuba has recourse to is to property. So Shimon thinks, listen, the wife's going to come to me in a few years and make me pay her 200 zuz. I don't want that. I wanted to waive that claim from the, her lien on this property now. So therefore, um, the Mishnah says, listen, if Shimon strikes a deal with Reuven to buy the property, and then prior to, you know, consummating the deal, he goes to Reuven's wife and says, listen, please waive your rights for your Aksuba from this property. Um, so even if she waives her rights, the halacha is it doesn't count, like this, like Reuven w- waiving his 
his rights doesn't count. Reuven Raven White's Sacrecon doesn't count. And the, and the reason why is because we assume, listen, what's his wife's option? She doesn't make a fight with her husband. Then he'll end up uh, throwing her out or something. So since she wants to avoid fighting with her husband, she agrees to waive her rights on the claim of the Ksuba, to the, of her Ksuba like, lien on this property. But she didn't. She doesn't really want to. She's just doing it because she has no other option, really. Um, so therefore, it doesn't count. It's unenforceable. And later on, the woman could go to Bezdin and claim from Shimon her Ksuba because she had a first lien. And the fact that she gave a waiver doesn't was because she didn't have. She just didn't want to fight with her husband. Whereas if Shimon first approaches the wife and says, "Listen, I know you have a lien on this property because you got a Ksuba. That's for two hundred zuz. You know who says you'll ever collect on it, and who says you'll ever, you know, he, maybe he won't." divorce you, maybe, you know, you'll die first, and it's a long way away anyways, I'll give you 10 cents on the dollar now, I'll give you here's, you know, 20 zuz, and waive your rights to that property, and if you agree, then I'll go to your husband to negotiate to buy it. So the point is, if she agrees to that, so she's agreed before her husband got involved in negotiations, it's not, and she accepts that deal, it's not because she is afraid of what her husband will say. She's acting out of her own interest, and that being the case, we assume she meant it, and therefore, if he, if Shimon gets that waiver to her lien on the property prior to engaging with her husband will say she meant it and therefore it would that waiver would be binding okay um so that's what the mishnah has to say inside let me just um okay one more thing before i speak that so there's two kinds of property the generic property the husband owns and that's kind of how i described it um and that being if, if we're talking about just generic property the husband owns all of which is mishubad is sort of lean to the wife her ksuba so the wife would never have the possibility of stopping the sale. The sale would always be binding. It's just that um, her lien would persist after the sale. So Shim would own the property, but she would have a lien on the property um, to cover her super payment. There is, however, possibilities where the property was specifically designated to cover her Ksuba. Either before they got married, the husband said, listen, I have this particular property, and you can rest assured that if in the event of a death or divorce, you'd be able to collect Ksuba from here, so you point to this particular place. Or let's say she brought in, like, um, what's called Nechzitzon Barzel. Let's say he had no property, but she brought in a parcel. And so she said, listen, I'm bringing a farm into the marriage, and she knows this is the farm from which I can collect now uh, if I, in the event that I need to collect my Ksuba. And, they, you know, there's a dollar amount set in the, in the marriage, the Ksuba says she brought in the farm. The farm's worth, you know, where it is, a thousand zuz, and she's guaranteed a thousand zuz there. So that's a kind of speak, so to speak, like she has a particular claim on that particular property, which is more than a generic claim on his assets. It's a specific property that has a, like a, a specific Shibatar. So there, actually, since that's like she has a claim on that property specifically, so therefore she actually could object to the sale itself and undermine the actual sale. And she, if she doesn't give a waiver, so then she could stop the actual transaction from happening. So the mission here says inside, If Shimon first does a deal with Reuven and then afterwards strikes some deal with Reuven's wife, um, that deal is strikes the wife. There's different sheets. Either it means like a Kenyan sudar. It's sort of like a symbolic. He just gets a waiver in exchange for you know nothing um, or some nominal amount. The point is she just was she wasn't really getting anything out of the deal. She just was agreeing to it because she didn't fight with her husband. Therefore, mikhobato the sale is annulled. Now, that which that means that if it was some generic property, the sale still stands. Just the waiver is bottle. But if it was actually a specific property that was there um, specifically, like I'll call it her property or or designated to be her protection, therefore actually she could undermine the sale itself. In contrast, Mina Isha, if first Shimon approaches Reuven's wife 
and secures this waiver or, you know, does a deal with her and gives her the money, some money to that she'll agree to waive her subsequent rights from this particular property. And then, then he goes and negotiates a deal with her husband. So then even if it was a property that was specifically, like, given to her or brought in by her or guaranteed, you know, to be the place where she get her ksuba, even so, since she agreed to do a deal with this Shimon prior to Shimon approaching her husband, so therefore we say she did a deal because she wanted to do a deal, not because she was afraid of her husband, because the husband wasn't in the picture when she struck the deal. And therefore, mikhol kayam, that transaction, the waiver, the sale, all do stand, and Shimon can keep the property because the wife agreed to it prior to him engaging with her husband, Reuben.